Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are here with us, um, that we can gather together in your name. Uh, We pray that as we spend this time together, you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit, and that you would cause us to fall more deeply in love with you. Lord, that you will take uh, these words that I have prepared, this preach that I have prepared, Lord, and and you would use it for your glory to transform our hearts and minds. Um, Lord, that you would uh, take out the things that are not of you, that they would fall from our remembrance, Lord, but that your gospel would shine true and transform our hearts and lives. Amen. So we are uh, in between a a bigger series, doing a few weeks of this miniature series, uh, looking at uh, how we serve each other, how we live out the gospel. Last week we looked at um, how we serve and love each other. And this week we're looking at how we serve and love our city, uh, largely, and then next week the world. Um, I say largely because in uh, the preparation of this, um, oh, you'll see where we go, but um, in the preparation of this, uh, what I really am getting to behind that is the meat behind the, the kind of how and why and less of the actual practical how stuff um, because I think we need to get the why right first. But we're looking at how we serve each other, the city and the world. Um, this week's the city, next week the world. Um, and uh, as part of that, what we did is we opened up uh, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, which is the, the verse where we pulled the name of our church from. And so it's something like close to our hearts. Um, we, we, we talked about how um, the way we love and serve each other as the church is an overflow of the gospel. Of, is an overflow of what God is doing in and through us. Um, and even that itself, the way we love each other, is a part of our witness, a part of our evangelism, is, is the way the church loves one another. And so Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, said in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus' words to his disciples then, and I think it's not too much of a stretch to say to us now, is that we are called to be, to be light and to be salt, to engage with the world as his followers in, in such a way that there is a difference, that there is um, something of him can be seen. And I think that we don't always do this well. In fact, we often struggle to do this well. And I think we, we kind of generally have three ways to go or three options when it, when it comes to uh, living as Jesus' followers in the world. We can withdraw from the world, withdraw from culture, withdraw from uh, people who are not like us, people who are not Christian. Alternatively, we can just recklessly embrace the world. To just say, yes, everything 
that the world has to offer, yes, let's just enjoy that. Or thirdly, the harder path is that we can live as what, what I want to put forward or what I think is scriptural, as, as a people within a people, as, as set apart. We're going uh, to look at a, a verse from first, second Peter, first Peter, I think, maybe second, uh, in a minute, and it's going to talk about how we are God's people, we are uh, a holy and chosen people, and that word holy, um, one of the shades of that word, one of the shades of meaning of that word is, is, is set apart. So, so holiness is, is about you know, righteousness and it's about um, uh, good standing before God, but things that are holy are set apart for a particular use. And so we have this call to be, to be set apart within the world. So the difference there is that we're not away from the world and we're not just like the world. We're in the world, with the world, but set apart within it. A people within the people. So, if we choose to withdraw from the world, this is like the kind of the, the, the drawer of legalism, uh, conservatism, um, kind of just setting up rules, setting up firm boundaries, saying, you know what, can't touch this. And like in extreme case, cases, like if you want to look to the extreme example that probably none of us can relate to personally, um, although if you can, come and tell me because that would be a wicked story, um, would be like the Amish. Set apart. We don't interact. We want to stay separate and holy. Nothing to do with you. But I think for most of us it would be set apart in perhaps other ways, creating distance with people who aren't followers of Jesus, creating rules that keep them away from us and us away from them. And this is sometimes not always a bad thing. It can kind of come from some good intentions. To protect is one intention. You know, I don't want to be influenced by the sin of the world. A sense of, you know, overprotection. And perhaps maybe if you're a new Christian and your ability to, to resist a, a past temptation or a past um, fleshly control in your life is weak, it might be wise for a season to withdraw and to set up some bounds. But the problem with this and why this doesn't work as a, as a way to engage with our city is that when we withdraw, there's, there's no room for the gospel to cross over, to work in your life. If, if you never interact with anyone, how can anyone see it? If you only kind of interact with Christians, it might kind of be nice for you in, in one sense, um, but you're robbing the community of the wider light. You're putting it under a basket. You're not shining it out. You're a lamp hidden. Sharing the gospel is the most loving thing that we can do. And if we're not doing that, we're not loving the ones Jesus has called us to love. In fact, this is so important in the church that one of the qualifications for being an elder, a pastor in the church, is actually being well thought of by outsiders. 
There's one kind of interesting thing in this. This is a list of qualifications given for being an elder in the church. Um, it's well thought of by outsiders. And the thing about being well thought of by outsiders is that um, if no one knows you, they can't think well of you. And so in terms of actually being a leader in the church, an elder in the church, to be an elder in the church is, is to lead out in mission, is to lead out in being known. If, you, if no one knows you, you, you're not qualified to be an elder. So we actually hold our elders to a high standard and expect them to know non-Christians, expect them to have non-Christians in their lives. It's a qualification. But there might actually be more subtle ways of, of hiding away than you know, pretending to be Amish or um, you know, only ever having Christian friends or not knowing anyone. And perhaps it's only interacting with Christians, only having Christian friends. So we want to be really careful in loving and serving our city. If we want to love our city, if we want to serve our city, we have to live in our city with the people of our city. The other kind of extreme we can go to with this is, is to blindly embrace all that our city has to offer. But the problem with this is it shows that the gospel has no power in your life. We are, we are called as Christians to live as set-apart people in God's world and to blindly embrace culture and all that our city has is to completely reject the gospel. I'm not saying that all culture is bad and the culture of our city is bad at all. In fact, uh, sport and going to the beach and having barbecues and, and things that are cultural in our city are all good things and I don't think we're called to reject them, thankfully. Um, But to make things ultimate other than God is idolatry. Being set apart is hard because we can feel like we want to be accepted by the culture, by our city. But Jesus accepts us for all of who we are and not just our compliance to society's norms. Choosing to embrace all that culture has to offer can come from really good intentions uh, or from even kind of perhaps fooling yourself. Um, a number of years ago, I was having a, a conversation uh, with a girl who was in the church I was uh, leading in at the time, uh, and she was genuinely trying to convince me that of her missional strategy for reaching her friends with the gospel. And she was, I believe she was genuine, I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure she was genuine that this, she thought that this was a really good idea. She was trying to convince me that it was a really good idea for her to go out and get pissed with her friends uh, regularly every Friday, Saturday night, because if she was trying to reach them, she needed to be with them, and that's how they were together, uh, and that she was going and getting drunk for the Lord. That was her, her take on it. They would accept her and listen to her as one of, her, one of their own. And then when she was there with them and they were ready to talk about God, she would be there. problem with that is when her friends were ready to talk about God, she probably wasn't uh, rational enough to talk. <laughs> the problem with this kind of attitude is that her friends would not have seen any difference in her life. Between the life with Jesus and the life without. Not that I want to uh, stand here and hold up 
uh, getting drunk and drinking is, is a worse sin than any other. Uh, all sin uh, is a problem in our life. Uh, but that particular sin would have shown her friends that there is no difference the gospel is making in her life. And if she actually did manage to convince one of them to read the Bible with her, uh, and they went through the Bible and it talks about do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, they might have wondered why she was participating in something that she's trying to tell them through the gospel is not what God wants for them. In truth, it was more likely that she was going to get caught up in their behaviours than actually have the opportunity to be a gospel witness to them. Uh, I actually know this person and and thankfully uh, that did not happen for them and they actually um, read some scripture and and, and repented of that behaviour and in fact are now uh, serving in a church and doing some awesome uh, missional work and leading people to faith regularly uh, in other ways. Um, And so that wasn't her story but I've seen time and time again where I actually had a a really, someone who used to be a really good friend of mine um, reached out into the gang scene uh, and decided to hang out with some people who are in that scene uh, and told me that it was as a gospel witness. Um, but it was about, it did not take very long at all for that to turn into something completely different. Uh, and he you know, walked away from Jesus and got involved with some gangs and actually got in some serious trouble. Um, again, he also has repented and come around from that, and that's been a great testimony for him as well. But um, we should not be fooled. I don't think Jesus wants us to participate in sin as a missional strategy. So we don't want to um, reject like our simple cultural forms of our city, uh, like having barbecues, like following a sports team, but what we do want to reject is our culture's idols. We are called instead to live as a people within a people, to live as, as what First and Second Peter would call exiles. So 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 12 says this about Christians, about how we're meant to live. It says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Is it your tendency uh, to withdraw from the people of our city who are not followers of Jesus? To not want anything to do with them? To want to kind of guard yourself from others sin or is it your tendency to not consider holiness of value 
and to be willing to compromise, to be willing to, to take up idols, to not live as marked out and set apart and different. I want to briefly look at a story from the Old Testament. And that's the story of uh, the nation of Israel's exile to Babylon. I think that uh, First and Second Peter have a lot of ties to this uh, exile, the way it's written, the way the language is talked about to God's people. Um, the nation of Israel had a calling by God to live set apart from the rest of the world. The way that that nation was to operate was to do life, was, to, was to, to shine God's light as a light for the other nations. That was their calling. We see it all throughout the, the uh, Abrahamic and even the Noatic and all the covenants that God makes with that people over the years. Their calling was to live in such a way that people could see the life of that nation and it would point to God and would lead people to God. But they continually rejected God and, and, and chased after other gods and other idols and other things and eventually uh, God, God says, uh, gets fed up with them and speaks to them through the prophets and says, I'm going to send you into exile. And so uh, King, uh, the Babylonians, the Babylonian and Syrian Empire comes in and captures the people and sends them off into exile. And so if you are familiar with any of the, the books of the Old Testament, you have a lot of the prophetic books speak about this. Um, the book of Daniel talks about uh, some of the experiences of the people in exile at the time. Um, we're going to go to Daniel 3 tonight. Um, and so the people of Israel, uh, most of them were carried off into exile. The society was smashed so much that they could not continue to operate um, in the way that they always had. They, they really were desolate, decimated as a people. God's people lived as exiles at this time, uh, largely in the nation of Babylon. And they could have uh, chosen to, in that space, withdraw, close their compounds, not learn the language of the people they were living amongst, only talk to each other. They could have shut themselves off, protected themselves from the nation of Babylon where they were captive. Alternatively, they could have forgotten their roots. They could have become assimilated into the people of Babylon. And that's kind of what the king was trying to get them to do. We were hearing, or we not, you hear in uh, the book of Daniel how the king was feeding them the good food, how the king was actually renaming them, getting rid of their Jewish names and giving them Babylonian names trying to assimilate them into his people, trying to get them to worship other gods and forget their identity. So they could have closed off and ran away. They could have forgotten their roots and become assimilated. Or the call that was harder was for them to live as a people within the people. For that nation of Israel to live as their own distinct set-apart people within the nation of Babylon, confident of their identity and calling, and as a witness to and blessing on the people that they live with. And that was the call that God gave them. Here in Jeremiah chapter 29, the word of the Lord to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is God's message. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. We're here in Daniel 3. Um, This one is not going to be up on the screen, um, but if you have a Bible, feel free to open up Daniel 3 uh, or you can just listen. Of what was happening to some of the, the young men and the young women and the people of the city, Uh, Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather his sheriffs and the prefects and the governors and the councillors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and the officials of the provinces and to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the straps, the prefects, and the governors, the councils, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood up before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon... Does anyone play trigon? Does anyone know what a trigon is? No. Harp, bagpipe, I thought the Scottish invented that, and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of musical music, all the peoples and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Babylonians came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hype, porn, lyre, trigon, uh, bagpipe, and every kind of music, they list them all every time, why do they do that? Shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind 
of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God, and who, is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. For this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered that some of the mighty men of his army to bind them and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. I'm going to leave the story there because we might pick this one up in our next series. These young men of one nation living in another nation could have chosen to assimilate into the culture, to go along with what that culture was telling them to do, to bow down to the idols that culture was telling them to bow down to, to worship the gods that culture was telling them to worship to. But they knew their identity as God's people. They knew their calling as God's people to worship God alone and to be different, to be marked out. And they refused. Christians are called to live as set-apart people, as the people of God within the people of our city. I think we can, we are, we are, I don't know, there might be some of us that we're not born here and we're perhaps brought here against our will. I don't know, there's too many people brought to Australia against their will these days. Um, we kind of didn't really have the convict thing here in Adelaide. We're kind of proud of that. Um, but people in our city... Because of that, because most of us were either born here or came here uh, to escape somewhere else or to, for a different opportunity or, or for love, I've got a few of those, um, we came here for reasons of our own choosing. Um, we don't see ourselves as, as not of this city or not of these people. We're here because we want to be here. We're not here in exile. But the people of God, are, our primary allegiance is not to this city is not to the, the people here. Our primary attachment and our primary allegiance is to be the people of God. We are members of the kingdom of God first and we're citizens of Adelaide second. Although it's important, it's second. And I think we can sometimes forget that. We're so much ingrained in our culture and we have grown up in this culture and we live in this culture so much that we forget that we're people of God first. So we seek the good of the city where we're living. We pray to the Lord on its behalf, like we're going to do on Wednesday night. But we also stand apart from the city as different people. I want to challenge us. 
I think that some people and some of us will sometimes see non-Christians as the enemy. I think uh, particularly uh, in this politically charged climate, um, and especially when there's debates and things going on, some people see people who don't follow Jesus as the enemy. And I think we need to rethink that. Because people who don't follow Jesus are not the enemy. Satan, sin and death are the enemy. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers and the principalities and the powers. I want to challenge us to, to view lost people as people that Jesus loves, who he wants good for. To view people that we would disagree with, who are not Christians, they are not the enemy. They are lost people that Jesus loves and wants to save. Yes, he does want them to repent and believe. But that is because he loves them. That is because he loves them. So I want to challenge us. Do you pray for the lost? Do you have time for them? Do you invite them for meals? If your tendency is, is to withdraw, be reminded that God has called us to live in the city, to be a blessing to the city, to love the people whom he loves, to serve the people whom he serves. If your tendency is to blindly embrace, we need to remember that we have been set apart. That once we were not a people and now we are God's people. The temptation to blindly assimilate into the Babylonian Empire for the people of God was that um, it would have been easier. I mean, the Babylonian king was trying to do that. He changed their names. He, he fed them their food. He commanded them to bow down to his God. And it would have been easier to go along with it. Just like today, it is easier for us to go along with our culture's idols, to bow down we have that tendency to forget that we're not of this world. And when we forget that we are exiles and that Jesus has saved us, transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, when we forget that we live just like everybody else. Just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we are called not to bow down to the idol that our culture has set up. You may not know this, but our culture is full of idols. We just don't recognize them as such. There's not too many, I don't think too many of us go into our, our lounge room and, and we have a shrine set up. And perhaps uh, some people from different cultural backgrounds will have that literal idol in their house, in the house that they were raised in, and, and that's their experience. But for most of us, we don't have idols in our house like that. It's not so obvious to us because our idols are a little more hidden. We haven't set them up as giant statues, but they're there, and we need to learn to recognize them and see them. I think some of the biggest cultural idols in, for us in the West are things like materialism and money, personal success and, and being proud of that, uh, sexual pleasure, individual freedom. You know, you can't tell me what to do. Freedom is what is our idol. Finding our identity in our image. Comfort, 
and disengaging, and I think that's largely what the phone addiction is about. It's really about comfort. Because when we're looking down at the screen, we don't have to be interrupted by anyone else because, you know what, it's not comfortable to talk to other people. It's not comfortable to be interrupted, but this is my shield. If I can look into this little box, it's a shield of comfort, shielding me from the reality of the world. What I want to say is, is this issue of our witness in the world and our witness in the city, it's about who we worship or what we worship because we are worshippers. We, we pour ourselves out for something. We, we just do. I, I want to take a moment, I want to challenge you to think about perhaps what are your own idols and what are the own things from the culture that creep into your heart. Even in this moment, I know some of you really love to take notes. Perhaps don't try and jot all these down. I'll, I'll post this on Slack uh, after the message if you want these notes. I'll post this on Slack. Just put the notebook down for half a second and take a moment with God to examine your own idols. If you want to close your eyes, you close your eyes. If you want to just sit and reflect, you reflect. I want to ask you these questions to help identify the idols in your life. When you're stressed, where do you run for comfort? When someone pushes your buttons, what, what is it that angers you the most with others and, and with God? What makes you the happiest? What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of losing? What do you want to have more than anything else? What in your life do you sacrifice the most time and treasure for? Whose approval are you seeking? What do you long for most passionately? What do you treasure most? Idols are liars. They promise you freedom or fulfillment or joy or peace or love or whatever it is and, and then they don't give it to you or, or they do and it's short term and fleeting and, and doesn't last. We don't in our culture, we don't set up idols necessarily and tell people to bow down to them. You know, we don't have, a, in the central square of Adelaide, we don't have a, a giant 
gold statue where the Premier comes out and says, hey, Adelaideans, let's come down and bow down to this, and if not, I'm going to kill you. We don't do that. But there are idols sitting on the throne of your heart. There are things from our culture and things from our world that control you, that, that take your affection, that take your love, that draw your worship. And you know what? The things that you were thinking about in that space and that moment, those things in and of themselves are probably not necessarily bad things. You know what was in your heart, I don't know. But those things, those things, those desires of your heart, in and of themselves, many of those desires are not necessarily bad. We, We are not Buddhists who teach that desire is a bad thing. Desires are given to us by God and desire can be good. But those things cannot rule your life because if they are ultimate, they will destroy you. If ultimately what you want is success... You will burn other people around you to get it. You will destroy your relationships to get it. If ultimately what you want is sexual pleasure and fulfillment, you will use people. If what you want ultimately is money and the security that that brings, you will fail to have opportunities to be generous. And you will die with the most toys in the sad castle of your own construction. The gospel is the remedy for all the idols that sit on the throne of our heart, for all the things that we are told to bow down to and worship, because Jesus is better. The gospel is better. In fact, the gospel reminds us that we were called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son, that we were once not a people, but we are now God's people, that we live for his glory. And the, the pleasures of this life, they look sweet. But they are bitter in comparison to knowing and being known by the Father. The things that, that sit on the throne of your heart that you worship that you are driven by matter. What is ultimate in your life matters because we become like what we behold. If we want to be more like Jesus, which if you're a Christian, I pray that you do want to be more like Jesus. Jesus has to have that ultimate place in our heart. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's what we behold, it's what we view, it's what we focus on that we become like. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we behold Jesus. If you behold money, if wealth is what you behold and what you seek after and and what you think about all the time, your life will be transformed in such a way that 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 is what you will seek after and that is what you will become. 
if you behold other people's uh, praise, if you behold success in the eyes of other people, you will shape your life in such a way that you will get that praise and that success. What you behold is what you become. What you desire is what you become. What you view is what you become like. The idols and the thoughts and the desires that are put forward by our culture as ultimate rob us of the joy of being like Jesus and becoming like Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus instead. Because not only is that for our joy, but we have no witness if we are not worshipping Jesus. So I want to question in our desire to, to serve our city and to love our city, is Jesus precious to you? Do you want to worship him? Because if we want to love and serve our city, we need to love Jesus. We can't withdraw from our city and we can't love the same things our city loves. But what I want to ask us to do is to commit to making it our practice to, to live as a people within a people, to live as God's people within the people of our city. And what I mean by that is to be really secure in the gospel. That's actually why I mean, this message is, is this sermon, this, this preach is about loving our city, serving our city, but we've got to get the gospel right before we serve. We've got to get Jesus on the throne before we serve. Because I want to be really careful not to just push us into missional activity if we don't have good gospel underpinnings. Because we want to serve our city. We want to love our city. We want to seek the welfare of our city but why? Because if we don't get the gospel right first, we're going to push out and we're going to push out harder and we're going to be doing it for all sorts of other reasons. If we serve without the gospel, the danger is that, is that we kind of either, the, we either pity or look down on those we serve or we don't have a message of power to share with those we serve. If we come to serve our city and the, the gospel is not firmly cemented in our hearts, if we don't understand that, that we, without Jesus, have nothing, we will look down on those we serve or pity those we serve, have a sense of superiority to those we serve. As we seek the welfare of our city, as we go to, to people in our city with the gospel and, and to serve them, we're not better than them. We need the gospel truth that we are wretched sinners saved by grace and no better than anyone else. And we also need the gospel message of the fact that God has called us and set us apart. Otherwise, we don't have a, a gospel of power to share with those we serve. If the gospel hasn't changed us, the gospel hasn't saved us. If the gospel has not changed you, the gospel has not saved you. So in terms of how do we serve our city, how do we love our city as followers of Jesus? I think 
I want to reduce it down and take out the technicality. We can talk about um, some opportunities which we have, and we can talk about some methods which we might put forward to DGs to, to pursue together, but it kind of comes down to this. Love Jesus and be with the people. Love Jesus and be with the people. Because salt can't not be salt, and light can't not be light. Salt can't not be salt and light can't not be light. And so if we love Jesus and we're with the people of the city, we're going to be salt, we're going to be light. And you can talk about perhaps uh, being equipped and trained in, in how to share the gospel well, but ultimately if Jesus has changed us, we will be salt. If Jesus is working in our lives, we will be light. You don't have to kind of make up a way to be salt and make up a way to be light. It's the gospel in us that changes us, to, that will make us salt, will make us light. So how can we serve and love the people of our city? Love Jesus and love the people of our city with the love of Jesus. So we have some opportunities uh, to, to, to get out and be involved in our city. Like we have, uh, through the Red Frogs organization, the, the option and the ability to, to serve at the upcoming cricket test, uh, 2nd to 6th of December, where we can get out of um, the four walls of this building and, and go out and engage with the people of our city. Um, and we have the opportunity to serve the schoolies with TRAN. We've got ministry opportunities opening up around North Adelaide. Uh, we've got ministry opportunities with some of the local colleges. Some of the people from this church are, are engaged in prison ministry uh, with some of the people um, currently in prison and, and about to be released from prison. Um, and I want to encourage all of you to get involved in these ministries and in these opportunities and in opportunities in your day-to-day -day life. But without Jesus having changed you, I don't want to push you hard into missional activity without the gospel being at the center. But if you know Jesus, it will change you and it will change how you operate. And we can live as a people within the people as a gospel witness to what Jesus is doing in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not... Um, leave us alone in our state, but you sent Jesus on a mission to live amongst the people you had called him to, to bear the sins of the world, to die in their, for them in their place. Um, that you are with us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have called the church to live as a people set apart within the city where you have sent us. And we want to pray that you would help the gospel to sink deep into our hearts, that we could be a good gospel witness of lives changed. Not by our own power, but by the power of your gospel at work in us. We pray that you would help us not to run away from the people you've called us to and not to be exactly like them, Lord. But by the power of your spirit, you would help us to stand as a gospel witness, as a people set apart for your glory within this city, we could be your people.
Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.